Blog Talk Radio.
Shalom, shalom, shalom. Lailatawa, which means good night or good evening in the ancient Paleo-Hebrew. I am your host, your brother, your friend, as always, Tazapa. And welcome to another episode, everybody, of For Your Information. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank the water. For everybody tuning in to the show that's been supporting Bible Talk Radio for these uh, 10 years plus that we've been doing the show. I want to send shouts out to my brother in righteousness, Mighty Mashaba, man. Shouts out to you, sir. Also, shouts out to our affiliated schools, the brothers here in San Antonio, Texas, the brothers uh, down in H-Town, led by the brother Quatazak. Uh, the brothers up in Rochester, New York, led by Zahanala, and the brothers in uh, Virginia, led by um, the brother Kazakia. Uh, I want to send shouts out also to um, our brothers and sisters up in Canada, in California, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and shouts out to Kawakab down in Guatemala. Um and shout out, man, to the 12 tribes scattered worldwide, man. So whatever camp assembly you're affiliated with, I want to say shalom or shalom to you brothers and sisters that are um, in the struggle with us, that uh, we can relate to is going through the same thing that we all are going through, trying to live here um, <laughs> and follow the Bible. In the belly of the beast, man, Babylon the Great, man, Babylon the Great. What uh, Bob Morley said, Babylon don't have no fruits, and this show in the hell don't, man. Anyway, man, um, welcome to the show, FYI, uh, Thursdays. If you're unfamiliar with the format, uh, I do a two-hour class on a topic, and this week's topic, y'all, is about the children, man. It's about the children. The title is No Child Left Behind. Um, I don't want to sound corny or uh, sentimental, man, but I got to be real. Um, y'all remember them songs, man, I Believe the Children Are, are Our Future? That's real, man. That's real. It's not a cliché. Um, also, the proverb which says it takes a village to raise a child. All of that is real, man. And my take on it is our children are our 401k plan, if you want to be real about it. Uh, the brother, and shouts out to, to, to him, and shouts out to the Masharai Yasha Allah, uh, the brother Maatathawa, Ma- Ma- he said some he said some very interesting things uh at the summit that resonated with me. And we he was talking about transition and transitioning from um life to what we uh call death. And he was talking about it's just the transition and that it is, and the scriptures says this extensively that it is. And the scriptures also go into reincarnation. Well anyway, the brother was talking about how essential it was to set your house up in order to be believers of the Most High 
and that your children would carry that on because in the regeneration, <laughs> you're essentially setting things up for when you come back. And that was something that I hadn't thought of. I was like, wow, this the brothers got a, a very accurate point. You, we are setting ourselves up, ourselves, setting ourselves up for when we come back. The scriptures say that we regenerate every three to four generations. So if you get your house in order and raise your house in the laws, statutes, and commandments of the Most High and the principles of Christ, you are setting yourself up for when you come back. So when you come back, you can come back to righteousness instead of chaos. Anyway, let me go ahead and start. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9, and it reads, After this matter, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So this is the prayer we need to be sending up on the daily, y'all, so we can get the hell on. We definitely want Yahweh's kingdom to come, because we are sick of this place. All right, Psalms chapter 118, verse 24, and it reads, this is the day which the Lord had made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, the most high brought you to it, he'll bring you through it, and you'll come out better on the other side because of it. Please believe me. All right, y'all. So like I said, the title of this evening's class is No Child Left Behind. And what inspired this class is to be honest, y'all, <laughs> my children. I'm often staring at my children, man, and just uh, wondering, contemplating what they're going to be when they reach adulthood, how they're going to be when they reach, when they reach adulthood, um, how much of what myself and my wives are instilling in them, how much are they going to carry on those things? These are the things I, I ponder. So this was the inspiration for this class. All right, y'all, so the first place we're going to go is we're going to go to the Zonovan Compact Bible Dictionary, page 105, and this is the definition of children. Man, this is when I need a reader. <clears throat> All right, so we're at page 105. It says child, children, child, children. Among the people of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, as in most other cultures, children, especially males, were greatly desired. I hope you heard this. I'm going to read this again. 
Among the people of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, as in the most other as in most other cultures, children, especially male, were greatly desired. My have, have times changed. <laughs> now they still arguing over whether or not um well they still arguing over the right to murder children. Or in our case, in our culture, a lot of us, when we, we, we find out we're about to conceive or we have conceived, we go through changes and have a, a bunch of regrets. Or um, how are we going to take care of this, this, this kid? Man, it, it wasn't planned. Um, I don't know what we're going to do. But it says here, read it again, among the people of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, as in most other cultures, children, especially males, were greatly desired. So the way it was in biblical times, you greatly desired to have a child. And we're going to find out why. So let's go to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to hold this. Let's go to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to read verse 2. So we'll go to Genesis chapter 15, verse 2. Genesis chapter 15, verse 2, and it reads, matter of fact, hold on. Let's go to verse 1. Genesis 15 and 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? So listen to what's taking place here. This is Abraham inquiring of the Lord when he's going to have an heir because he didn't have an heir. And he said that if, if he was to die, another nation, this dude, this, this dude named Eleazar, of Damascus was from another nation, and this was Abraham's steward, meaning his chief servant that he had. He's like, man, this dude is my heir. He's like, this, this ain't gonna work. Listen to what he's saying. I'm gonna read it again. Genesis 15 and 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, or fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. Verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given me, or have given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is my heir. <laughs> See? I kind of jumped the gun on that. But we hear now, but he was saying that this dude is going to be my heir because I don't have any children. Now, remember the definition we read said that in biblical times, children were greatly, greatly sought after. This is one of the reasons why. So you could have an heir that you can pass down your culture and your belongings to. Verse 4, and behold, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, this shall not be thine heir, 
So the Most High told him, no, nah, this is not going to be your heir. But he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thy heir, because that's the way it was supposed to be done. Your heir would be your child, your offspring, not your servant. That that ain't right. But if you didn't have a child, you have to leave your goods and services to a nation, to your servant. All right, so let's get the definition of an heir so we can get some edification. All right, here we go. And this is from the uh, 1828, y'all. Heir. The man who succeeds or is to succeed another in the possession of lands. Listen to this. So an heir got lands, tenements, and head of, uh, what is this? Hereditary mints. Hereditary mints. I don't know. What is hereditary mints? Guess we gotta look gotta look that up. Things you pass down, huh? Yeah, that's how it's die out here in the background, y'all. She will be joining us shortly. She's getting a cook on right now. Um tenements and hereditary mints by descent. The man on whom the law casts an estate of inheritance by the death of the ancestor or former possessor, or the man in whom the title to an estate of inheritance is vested by the operation of law on the death of a former owner. We give the title to a person who is to inherit after the death of an ancestor and during his life, as well as to the person who actually comes into possession. A man's children, listen to this, or his heir. Let me read this again. A man's children or his heirs. In most monarchies, like uh, monarchies, the king's eldest son is heir to the throne, and the nobleman's eldest son is heir to his title. So this is one of the reasons it was important to have children so you could leave all your inheritance to, all your possessions, your lands, your tenements, your hereditary mints. You would leave this to your children. Now let's get uh, Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1, because this is what Abraham was praying to the Most High for. He wanted a son. We're going to go back to that definition. We're going to tie it all together. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I die. <laughs> now, you know, these are biblical times because this day and age, women be happy because they got their two sides. We would be happy because uh, they had to have a hysterectomy. They can't have no kids. Women are happy about these things, about not being able to conceive children. This day and age, a lot of women are happy about this. And it's mainly our people. Because you look at the other nations, especially Esau, when they can't conceive, man, they quit to do uh, in vitro uh, fertilization. 
they're quick to be trying to freeze their eggs and do all this expensive stuff that you have to do to have children. But for them, children are, are a joy, but for us, children are a burden. But it didn't used to be like that, man. I'm just trying to bring out and, and, and express to our people how degenerate we are away from the most high's way of doing things and how degenerate we've, we've uh, become to just uh, love, man. We're, we really have become a heartless people. Let me read this again. Genesis chapter 30 and verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she bared Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister. So it was to the point to where she was jealous because you go back and read the story, Leah had a whole bunch of kids by Jacob. She popping out kids, but Rachel, not a kid in sight. So it caused her to be envious. So she was jelly. Excuse me, Reno. And said unto Jacob, give me children. Now listen to this. Give me children or else I die. This woman, <laughs> her being barren was so severe and so serious to her She'd rather die than not to have no children. Listen to this. So she, it's, it's vice versa. She wouldn't like the modern woman that would rather the child die so she could have a career, so she could go out and be a, a, a harlot, a garden to. She can do her thing because the child holding her back. It, it was none of that going on. It says, she said, give me children unless I die. She understood her purpose as a woman. She understood her purpose as a woman. Now, for me to say that this day and age, they look at me, oh, this toxic masculinity. You, you're a male chauvinist. So you think a woman's place is just to have kids and be barefoot in the kitchen. They'll go that extreme to make, to make what I'm saying look bad, but we're finding out that, yeah, this was one of the purposes or one of the purpose of a woman for her to conceive and have children. What was the first commandment that the Most High gave? To be fruitful and multiply. That would entail what? A woman having children, giving birth. We so far removed from this, though. Let me read this again. Genesis 31, and when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, and she said this to her husband, give me children or else I die, like it was his fault. Now watch this, verse 2. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, am I in God's seed who had withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? He like, I ain't the most high. The most high. He didn't withheld the fruit of your womb. This the most high you gotta pray to. You gotta deal with the most high. This this ain't on me. This is what this brother was saying to her. But this how serious it was to have children. Now let's go back. Let's go back to uh, the Zonovan Compact Bible Dictionary, this definition of children. I'm going to finish where I left off at. Because <clears throat> it lists, it lists uh, a lot of these scriptures we just went over. 
Let me go. Let me see what this say. It says, um, hold on. No, let's not go back there yet. Let's let's keep going. Let's go to uh, Genesis 30 and 1. Oh, we there. Let's get First Samuel now. First Samuel chapter 1. First Samuel chapter 1. And we're going to start at verse 1. First Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man of Ramoth, I am Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Joram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tuhu, the son of Zuk, and an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other Panina, Paniah, and Paniah had children. I'm sorry, yeah, Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of the city. I'm sorry, I'm gonna skip. Let's jump down to verse nine. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh, and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon the seat by a post of the temple of the Lord, and she was in bitterness. Of soul, and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thy handmaid and remember me, and not forget thy handmaid, but will give unto thy handmaid a man child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. Now, this is uh, Samuel's mother, and she's praying to the Most High because she was bearing also like Rachel, and she's doing the right thing. She went to pray to the Most High. This is what Jacob told Rachel to do. So this this woman, uh, Hannah, she went and prayed to the Most High and asked the Most High to open her womb, to bless her with a child. And she said, if you give me this child, he's yours. He's yours for life, and when she said ain't no razor going to come upon his head, she's saying he's going to be a Nazarite. That was the vow of the Nazarite. So Samson was a Nazarite. Uh, I'm sorry, Sammy was a Nazarite from, from birth. So let's get uh, Psalms 127, and we're going to read verse 3. So I'm tempted to bring out all these examples about how valuable children are and why they're valuable. So this we already we already found out that your children would be your heir, the person you left your uh, riches and your land and stuff to. And now we're finding out that your child could be given to the Most High, and what greater what greater honor, what greater job, what what greater uh, calling than to be given to the most high from birth. All right, Psalms 127 and verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. So we already got this and we read the definition of heir. We're going to go back there too. 
<clears throat> we find that your children are heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. So how does the Most High reward you? He blesses you with children. <laughs> he blesses you with children. So can you understand why these women felt the way they felt? Because they knew this. They knew that, man, it's got to be something I'm doing wrong because the Most High has not rewarded my womb with a child. They knew this. This is why they were feeling some kind of way like, man, the Most High has got his finger on me for whatever reason, and he won't open my womb. And I ain't going to say these women. I'm going to say uh, Hannah because <laughs> Rachel didn't get this. <laughs> Cause I don't, and I gotta go back and read the scriptures, but I don't, I don't recall Rachel going and pray, just praying to the Most High for the Most High to open her womb. Anyway, let me read this again. Psalms one twenty seven verse three: Lo, children are inheritance of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall be, shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. Con, why is it the children going to be speaking with the enemies in the gates? Because, and it tells us, matter of fact, let me get it real quick. Why are your children going to be speaking with your enemies in the gates? So let's get Ecclesiastes chapter 30 and this sort of verse. So verse 3, we're going to start to the point. He that teaches his son grieveth the enemy, and before his friend he shall rejoice with him. So it says if you teach your son, you will grieve your enemy, like it just, we just read in Psalms, that your, your, uh, the fruit of your womb is going to be, with your, your, uh, be at the gate with your enemy. A gate is used for protection. That's what a gate is for. Like you see gated community, the gate is put up there to protect the people that are inside. So in Psalms it said that your offspring, your children are going to meet your enemy at the gate. It's letting you know that your children are going to be your protection against your enemy. But that's if you teach them and teach them the ways of the Most High and the principles of Christ. Read this again. Ecclesiastes chapter 30, verse 3. He that teaches his son agree with the enemy, and before his friends he shall rejoice with him. Though his father die, yet he is as though he were not dead. So what does this mean? This means that your son is a chip off the old block. He's just like his pops. He's just like dad. Dad is righteous, son will be righteous. That's the way it's supposed to be. It don't always happen like that. But that's the way it's supposed to be. We know. It says, I'm reading again, verse 4. And we're in Ecclesiastes chapter 30, verse 4. Though his father died, yet he is though he were not dead. For he had left one behind him that is like himself. Hope y'all seeing this. This is why. It tells us in Psalms, and reads again, 127 and verse 5. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them, meaning full of children. They shall not be ashamed, but 
They shall speak with the enemy in the gates. Your children are going to be your protection, man, against your enemies. That's if you train them and raise them up. All right, let's go to Psalms 128, and we're going to read verse 3 now. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the side of thy house. Thy children like out of plants round about thy table. These are blessings from the Most High, man. Matter of fact, we read verse 1. Listen to this. Blesses everyone that feared the Lord, that walketh in his ways. Now let me jump down to verse 3. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by thy side, by the sides of thy house. Thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Meaning your wife is going to be fertile. She's not going to be barren. She's going to be able to have children, and you're going to have a lot of them. But remember what it says in verse 1. Blessed is everyone that feared the Lord. So if you fear the Most High, then the Most High will bless your wife's womb. You'll have those children that you long for. All right, let's go to Numbers now, chapter 3. And I want to start uh, verse 40. And the Lord said unto Moses, Number all the firstborn of the males. Matter of fact, hold on, I want to hold this one. I definitely want to hold that one. Let's go back to the Donovan uh, Bible Dictionary. And let's finish with the definition. It says, um, this definition of children, y'all. It says, among the Hebrews, all the firstborn belong to God. And that's the point I want to get to. Among the Hebrews, all the firstborn belong to God and must be redeemed. And it cites Numbers chapter 3, verse 40 through 51, which we're going to go there. So let's pick up there, Numbers chapter 3, verse 40. And the Lord said unto Moses, Number all the firstborn of the males of the children of Israel from a month old and upward, and take the number of the na- of their names, and thou shalt take the Levites for me. I am the Lord. So this this he's saying that the most that uh, Moses was going to take the Levites. Now watch this. Instead of all the firstborn among the children of Israel, and the cattle of the Levites, instead of the instead of all the firstborn uh, firstlings among the cattle of the children of Israel. So here, the Most High changed it up. Because remember what we just read in the Zodavan, it said, I'm going to read it again. Among the Hebrews, all the firstborn belong to God and must be redeemed. So that was true. But the Most High changed it here in Numbers where he just took the firstborn of the Levites. Now let's get that. Let's go to Exodus chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 11. Listen to this. And it shall be, when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of, of, of the Canaanites, as he swore unto thee and to thy fathers, and shall give it thee, thou shalt 
Thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all the all that open the matrix, and every firstling that come of a beast which thou hast, the males shall be the Lord's. This is where the most I said that the firstborn was going to be his. All firstborn, all firstborn males is going to be the most highest, but he changed it up in uh, Numbers chapter 3, verse 40 through 51. He said, no, just give me the firstborn males of the Levites. All right? Now, the reason I'm going through this is because you just never know what purpose your child is going to serve, man. So this is another reason you should have children. This is another reason it's important to have an offspring, to have children, to have lineage. You just never know what purpose they're going to serve for the most high or for the nation. Now let's get Judges chapter 13, and we're going to read verse 1. I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Judges chapter 13 and verse 1. And the children of Israel did, wait a minute. Yeah, that's it. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines 40 years. So this was us. After Joshua died, we went off. Verse 2. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren. And bear not. So here's another example of an uh, Israelite woman being barren. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. So this is the most high telling this lady that her son was going to be a Nazarite also, because this was, in fact, the vow of a Nazarite. It's going to get to it. No different than uh, Samuel. Same thing. Verse 5. For, lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, just like Samuel. And he shall be, and listen to this part. This part I'm going to get to. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So, child ain't even been conceived yet, but the Most High got plans for him. I hope y'all seeing this, man. This is why it's important to have children, because you just never know what purpose your child is going to be used for, for the Most, the most High and for the nation. You just never know. Verse 6. When the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very ter- terrible, but I asked him not whence he was. Neither told he me his neither told he me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. And and now drink no wine nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. So this is uh, the wife. What was her name? 
You didn't even say her name. Hold on. Well, I don't even say her name. But this was um, Samson's mother. But the Most High is giving her the instructions of what her child is going to do for the nation. He's going to, he was a savior that was going to save the Israelites from out of the hands of the Philistines. Now, this this thing about if she just got pregnant and the angel never came through and told her a purpose and her and her husband had a breakup or uh, they wouldn't see it eye to eye and she wanted to not have, I don't want to have this kid, be left with this kid by myself. Just think if she would have killed him, if she would have aborted the baby, then the Israelites wouldn't have been saved from the hands of the Philistines. Just something to think about, y'all. Just using the modern day Let's get Luke chapter 1 And we're going to start at verse 13 But the angel said unto him Fear not Zacharias So this is John the Baptist's uh, father Zacharias It says for thy prayer is heard And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist also was a Nazarite. Now listen to this. This was his purpose right here. The Most High told, told, already prepped, prepped him and his wife to have a child in their old age, told him the child was going to be a Nazarite. Now he did to the child's purpose, verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Why? You don't say. So this child was going to be born and he had purpose. This is what we don't be seeing, man. You just never know what purpose the Most High has for your child. Verse eight, uh, 17, And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. The hearts talking about the mind. It says John the Baptist was going to uh, turn many of the children of Israel back to the Most High, and he was going to ch- turn the hearts of the fathers, meaning the forefathers, the uh, the the fathers of the children of Israel that had went off, saw worshiping other gods. It says he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers, the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So this was John the Baptist's job, man. He was setting the way, paving the way. For your higher side for Christ to get here. And just think about it. What if he what if he was aborted? What if John the Baptist was aborted? Then we wouldn't be reading about John the Baptist. We wouldn't read the, we'd be reading about how he said 
uh, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We wouldn't be reading none of that. He wouldn't have existed. Let's get Mark chapter 9. And verse 36. And he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And him is talking about Yahweh And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto him, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me. Listen to what Yahweh Shai is saying. Listen to what Christ is saying, y'all. He said, Whoever receives one of these children, it's like you receiving me. I hope we're listening. And the reason I want to emphasize this, man, is because a lot of times we be shooing kids away because we say, oh, they're getting on our nerves. Oh, this boy, this girl. When we should be embracing them and teaching them the right way so they can stop getting on your nerves. Let me read this again. Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me. And whosoever shall receive me receive not me, but him that sent me. And John answered answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and uh, he followed not us. And we forbid him because he followed not us. You know what? No, all I wanted was verse 37. All I wanted was verse 37. But the point is, Christ telling us to not, he says, whosoever shall receive one of, one, in verse 37 again, whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiving me. So if you receive a little one, you receive a child, in Christ's name, he said you received him. Let's go to Mark chapter 10. So we're jumping right over. We're going to read verse 13 now. We're going to read the 16. And they brought young children to him, the day as the disciples, that he should touch them. I'm sorry, not the disciples, but just people in general. Verse 13 from the top. And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples, listen to this, his disciples rebuke those that brought him. So the people brought kids to Yahushua, to Christ. His disciples like, no, nah, man, why y'all bring these, all these kids up in here? He was acting like us. These kids getting on my nerves. Look, baby kids. Verse 14. But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Are y'all listening to this? He says, such is the kingdom of God. Now watch, he explains himself. Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child. He shall not enter therein. What is Yahweh talking about as a little child? Children are sincere and honest, and they can be molded and taught. So this is what Christ is telling us. 
We have to enter into the kingdom as if we were children. But he's using these innocent children as an example. Children are moldable. You can work with children. You can teach them something. They'll grasp it, and they'll keep going on. They'll keep it in practice. They'll keep it in play. And you hear people say this all the time. You're like, well, how old is so-and-so, so-and-so? And they tell you how old they are. You're like, oh, they stuck in their ways. <laughs> we all know what that means. They stuck in their ways. And when we say we use this phrase, it's always got to do with somebody's what? Somebody's age. You say somebody is stuck in their ways, that means they won't allow themselves to be taught. They're going to stay the way they are. So if they're hateful, they're going to be hateful. If they're disgruntled, they're going to be disgruntled. If they're rebellious, they're going to be rebellious. They're stuck in their ways. They can't be molded. They can't be shaped. They're, and we got a term for it in the truth. We call it being sealed. <laughs> you already sealed. Meaning what? You're already the person that you're going to be. And there ain't no amount of scriptures that's going to change your mind. The scriptures refer to that type of person as being reprobate. The word reprobate means beyond saving. You're beyond saving, man. You need to try to adopt. You need to adopt the mind and the mentality of a child. That's the only way you're going to get to the kingdom. I'm going to read this again. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. You're not getting to the kingdom. Why? Because you can't be molded. You can't be shaped. You can't be corrected. You can correct the child. Yeah, I'll do it all day. You got there doing it. But correcting the dog. And you're going to get a bunch of excuses as to why they did what they did. They ain't going to admit to doing what they did or both. Or they're going to be angry at you because you brought out what they did. Just difficult. This is what Christ is talking about, though. Now, let's go back to the Zodazan Compact Bible Dictionary. Definition of children. I'm going to pick back up here at... Um, it says, children were sometimes dedicated to God for special services, and we already read that. In the sites of the scriptures, we read in Judges 13, 2 through 7, 1 Samuel 1, through, uh, 1 and 11, Luke 1, 13 through 17, and uh, 76 and 79. Discipline was to be firm for punishment. So discipline needs to be firm when you deal with your children. Much was expected of children. Listen to this. Much was expected of children. And what do we do now with our children? Oh, they can't handle that. That's too much on them. And I don't think they're ready for that. You know what? And I ain't going to lie. I'm going to confess. I found myself saying stuff like that when it came to me teaching my children. I don't think they're going to understand this. I don't think they're going to get it. I don't think they're ready for it. This might be a little bit too much for their comprehension. Yeah, I used to say this nonsense. But if they can pick up a damn tablet and they know how to work a tablet, they know how to work a cell phone, they know how to work a remote control to where they can go on the, on the if you got cable or satellite, they can go on the guide 
and scroll down the guide and find their shows that they like looking at and find the shows that they shouldn't be looking at, if they can do all of that, then they can do a hell of a lot more than what you think they're capable of doing. We have to stop making excuses for ourselves and for our children. They can comprehend. I'm going to read this again. It says, much was expected of children. This is biblical times. Much was expected of children. How now we don't expect much out of a child? We don't put many demands on a child. Why is that? What are we preparing them for there? If we don't put no demands and no pressure on them. So when they grow up and they at the job and their boss is putting pressure on them, what are they going to do? Throw temper tantrum? Break down and cry like uh, babies? Like little spoiled brats? If we don't get them to face their fears, but I'm scared of, I'm scared of the dark. If we don't get them to face that, then what are they going to be when they get older? How are they going to lead a family? How are they going to lead their, their wife? How are they going to lead their child if they got a bunch of fear in them? Because we're making excuses, oh, well, I don't want to put too much on them. You know, um, studies show, psychological studies show that children really can't handle that. They're not capable of comprehend, stop. That's an excuse for you not to do your job as a parent. That's all that is. And you're you're looking for your enemies to show you how to raise your child correctly. I'm going to say this again. You're relying on your enemies to show you how to raise your child correctly. Instead of going to the Bible and see what seeing what the Bible says about how you should raise your child. And we're going to get into it on Samuel and other uh, children that were brought up in the Most High, and we're going to see the responsibilities that they were given at an early age. Let me read this again. Much was expected of children. Much was expected of children. Obedience and respect to parents were commanded. Read this again. Obedience and respect to parents were commanded. Not suggested. Not, you know, you really should do this. No. It was commanded. It had to be that way. There was no other way. What no gray areas. What no well, let's sit down and talk about it. It wasn't no two-way conversation concerning respect. That's a one-way conversation. But here in this place, we're taught, well, you got you got to listen to them. They have feelings. You have to understand their POV. <laughs> See, you don't understand what's going on with them. You're you're not in tune. You're out of touch. That's what I hear. I'm out of touch. (laughs) 
if you've ever said any of those things, that's an indicator to you that you're wicked as hell. You, and the reason I'm saying that is because that goes contrary to what the scriptures say. Let me read this again. Obedience and respect to parents were commanded, not suggested. Affection, now listen to this part. Right up under that part, it says affection for children is strikingly portrayed in many instances. So it ain't just discipline, discipline, slap them in the mouth, slap them in the mouth. It says affection for children is strikingly portrayed in many instances. We have affection for our children. We just can't beat them down, always criticize them. We have to build them up also. And in our community, we got this bad, man. We can't be even killed. We either extreme on, on the discipline end or we extra extreme on the damn sensitive and uh, on the passion on the booty end. That a boy. I'm going to big you up all the time or make excuses for you. We, like I said, we're either on that end or the extreme discipline end, not even killed, not right in the middle where we need to be. They need both. Children need discipline, and they'll thank you for that when they get older. How many of y'all, man, and this is a, a rhetorical question. Y'all can just answer this on your own. How many of y'all, when y'all were younger, your parents was, like, really on y'all, and y'all had, like, strict upbringing, strict rules and whatnot, and then uh, you hated it when you was little. You couldn't stand it. Your friends, they get to have all the fun, and they just get to do all the good stuff, all the cool stuff. They had the cool parents. And then you grow up, and those same friends, a lot of them are in jail. A lot of them are in the cemetery. A lot of them just got jacked up lives, house full of kids. Uh, abusive on drugs, all kind of stuff. And, you know, you, throughout the years, you might, you know, bump into them or bump into uh, somebody that, that you knew. I had a mutual friend or somebody that went to school with y'all or whatever, and they tell you the sob story, man. You're like, man. And then it makes you reflect on your upbringing to where you got to call your mom or call your daddy and be like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, mama. Well, thank you. I didn't. I didn't understand. I didn't understand why you made me come home when the streetlight came on. I didn't get it then. I didn't understand why you wouldn't let me hang with Keisha and them. I, I didn't get it. But Keisha got five kids by four different baby daddies. I understand now, Mama. I understand now, Daddy. I just wanted to call and thank you. How many of us find ourselves doing that? But when we were younger, we weren't trying to thank them. We, we was that, that crying kid that's in the room. <laughs> hey. <laughs> we was that kid slamming doors, talking under our breath. What's that you said? <laughs> But now we can reflect and actually thank our parents 
for their guidance, for their protection, because that's really what it was, it was protection. I'm going to read this part again, this definition. So when is on the man, Bible dictionary, definition of children or child, it says affection for children is strikingly portrayed in many instances as in David's love for a child who died. And it's talking about uh, when he fasted for uh, the child that him and Bathsheba had, the first one that died, uh, because he committed adultery, and that was his punishment. It says, and then the raising of the children to life by uh, Elijah, by Elisha, and by Jesus. Jesus' love and concern for children is seen in Matthew chapter 18. Did we get that? I think we did that. We got the other one. So it gives Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 through 15. Mark chapter 9, verse 35 through 37. That's the one we got. Uh, Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. Luke chapter 9, verse 46 through 48. Uh, Luke 18, 15 through 17. Jesus recognized children's play. Many attractive pictures of schoolhood of schoolhood occur, occur i.g. Moses, Samuel, Timothy. So the definition is just going over how we treated child, children, how we dealt with children, and how valuable they were. Now I want to read you all this. This is from um, educationalrenaissance.com. I ain't going to read all of this. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. That's the wrong website. It's this one right here. So scratch that. This is from scholastics.com. And the headline reads, A Milestone Developmental Stage, The Age of Reason. A milestone developmental age, the age of reason. You can expect your child to experience a big leap forward in common sense and maturity around age seven. I'm going to read this again. You can expect your child to experience a big leap forward in common sense and mutual, I'm sorry, and maturity around age seven. So around age seven, they said that children learn common sense. There's no such thing as common. Common sense ain't common. But it will, it would be in this case the the uh, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess the the common sense of your household, which would be the rules of your household, how you deal with people, because that's where the uh, school actually starts is in the household. But we know it says uh, the first few years of parenting are all about commemorating our children hitting milestones. We celebrate their first birthdays and are surviving a full year on less sleep with uh, smash cakes and used parties. We make uh, the start of their first day of kind- kindergarten with tons of photos. We make a giant fuss the first time the tooth fairy drops by, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Let me skip all of this. It says, what is the age of reason? Around the age of seven, give or take a year, children enter 
a developmental phase known as the age of reason. So according to Esau's study, they said your child starts to gain the talent of reasoning at age seven or eight, give or take, they said. So <clears throat> the stuff we think they're too young to digest or too young to understand, they understand perfectly. So this is a ripe age for a child. All right, let me go back to the article. It says, um, yeah, here it is. The age of reason refers to the developmental, cognitive, emotional, and moral stage in which children become more capable of rational thought. This is age seven. Have internalized conscious and have better capacity to control impulses than in previous stages. Whew. So what does this mean? Man, I'm feeling ashamed. I got to do a better job because I'm struggling, dealing with my son on this right now. Him con- con- controlling his impulses, man, and his damn emotions. This dude is 10. We supposed to got this down pack at seven. Anyway, explains Dana Dorf, Dorfman, PhD uh, psychiatrist and co-host of the podcast Two Moms on the Couch. It's the time when a child starts to truly grasp the difference between right and wrong, age seven, y'all, and begins to realize that other people have their own feelings that might not match his or hers. So now your child at age seven is learning to respect other people and their feelings. Hmm. What's happening to my baby? Yes, your stellar parenting deserves some credit for your child's newfound abilities to listen when you ask her to clear her breakfast dishes or to stop using the cat as a soccer ball. But a lot of what's causing these big changes in the way of your child, in the way your child thinks and behaves, as to do, has to do with biology, especially in how her brain is developing. Around age seven, there's a significant neurological growth in the temporal and frontal lobe, both of which contribute to cognitive capabilities. Explains Dr. Dorfman. The lobes increase in cognitive and connect and connect connection to each other, paving new neural neural pathways. These connections allow for increased ability to process emotions. A seven, y'all. All this is A seven. Who the thunk it? The special role of A seven in uh, I ain't gonna read all of that. Separating fantasy from reality. One way to figure out if your child has re- has reached this age of development is keep an eye, uh, ear open for any suspicious questions about fair about fairies, Santa Claus, or the monsters his old brother swears living in the basement. Older brother swears living in the basement. While your child's imagination can still roam free, 
his belief in make-believe may start to fade. So this is the age where they can separate fantasy from reality. Telling the truth gets more complicated. Preschoolers can be real sweethearts most of the time. They're big fans of giving hugs and kisses. But when you ask them for their opinion, they'll give it you the unfiltered truth, no matter how harsh it is. My ego still has recovered from the time my then four-year-old told me my bright orange sweater made me look like a pumpkin. He wasn't wrong, but still, oof. So what they're saying is, children are honest, man. Children are brutally honest. And the paragraph up above that I was reading talked about uh, two fairies and all the paganism that uh, they induce into children. But at the same time, children are figuring out that these things are not true. They're fairy tales. And what a parent is actually doing to a child is teaching them how to lie. Because this is the age when they start finding out about these things and they say, the parents might say things like, well, it's just a little white lie. <laughs> it's a little white lie. But these parents are the same ones upset at the children for what? For lying to them. But where did they get it from? They got it from you. But this is the age where they're putting this together to where children start calling out your lies. Now let's go to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. We will start at verse 4. And you start at verse 4. Let me catch up with you. I thought I just joined this, y'all. I have a reader now. Let me check to watch. So why is all of this important, what I'm bringing up? So Esau knows this. He knows that age seven, your child has developed reasoning skills. He knows that age seven, your child has developed knowing right from wrong. So they have the capacity of learning this anyway. And they still have to be taught this. He knows this, but guess who else knows this? You got uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6? Read. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul. I got it. Sorry about that, John. Uh, read again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Thou shalt do what? Teach them diligently unto thy children. Why would he say teach them diligently unto thy children? 
Because remember, everything we know so far, your child is your what? Your heir. Remember what we read in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 30. You raised up one just like you. You're training your replacement. We are training our replacements, y'all. What sense does it make for us to be Israelites, but our children ain't Israelites? Our children think, uh, well, my parents in this crazy stuff uh, known as Hebrew Israelite, what what they clown, um, Vocal Malone, he calls it Hebrew Israelitism. <laughs> clown. But what good is it for us to be Israelites, to live as Israelites, but our children grow up and they act like Jake. So the truth stops with them. The truth stops with them. So our grandchildren, now they're going to celebrate Christmas and um, Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and birthdays because we didn't do our job because we didn't make sure that we kept them in the book as much as we're in the book. We didn't make sure that we were good examples for them about the book, follow the book to a T to where they can follow the book now to a T. These are things we have to ask ourselves, y'all. If you're being honest with yourself, and you know you can do better. You know you ain't doing the stuff you need to be doing. Read it again. Verse 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. When we do what? When thou sittest in thine house. So what should be talked talk about in the crib? Scriptures. When they do, when they make mistakes around the house, and you have to reprimand them, what should you be giving them? A scripture dealing with the situation, so it stays in their mind. They should be a mini you. If you, if you ain't wearing pants, why are your daughter wearing pants? If you ain't wearing little bitty shorts, why your daughter wearing little bitty shorts? If you ain't wearing a gang of makeup and them damn spider eyelashes, then why your daughter wearing that? Your daughter's supposed to want to be like you, not the thoughts on Instagram and other social media. You're supposed to be your daughter's hero. You're supposed to be the person your son looks up to. It's supposed to be you. Not no damn basketball player. Not no football player. Not no rap nigga. Your son's supposed to be looking up to you, doing things the way dad do it. Because dad's following what? The Bible. Read. And when thou walkest by the way, and that when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Scripture's always, always supposed to be going. Something spiritual is always supposed to be going so it fits. 
He started to figure this out. Why the hell you think they trying their best to put a tablet in your child's hand at age three, at age four, and our dumbass, excuse my French, will give our children these things at age three, at age four, a tablet. So we ain't got to be bothered with them. An iPad, a remote. So we ain't got to be bothered with them. I want y'all to do this, man. And I've done it. Take the devices out of your children's hands for a substantial amount of time. Half a day. And see how they act. See the withdrawals they go through. Then I want you to do this. I want you to monitor your screen time and see how much you want. And then I want you to push back away from it and you go half a day without being on social media, without being on whatever app you you want on your phone, on your tablet or whatever and see if you go through any withdrawals. This is an experiment I want everybody to do. And the reason I'm talking about this is because I heard someone on NPR, they was talking about um, there's a bill in Florida to ban children under a certain age from um, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and some other uh, social media platform. They actually have a bill. <laughs> and that the, the reason they have the bill is because they're saying that children aren't um, intellectually responsible enough to deal with social media. It's too addictive. This is what they said. How is it we don't think that it's the same way with us? (laughs) What we really don't understand and we overlook a lot of times is that children are people also. They're small, meaning use. They're small, little people. They have the same emotions, the same feelings, the same thoughts that you have. I don't think we get that. This is why the Most High is saying this. Teach these, read verse 7 again. And thou shalt teach them diligently. Now look up the word diligently. I'm sorry, I skipped over this. Uh, Here. Let's look up the word diligently. The Most High said, teach them diligently. Yeah, you read it. Diligent, characterized by steady, earnest, and energetic effort. (laughs) Read that again. Characterized by steady. Steady, meaning what? Be consistent. What else? Earnest. Earnest. What is earnest? Be sincere. So being steady 
you have to be sincere in being saved. You just can't be uh, going through the motions. I'm doing because we always do. Be sincere when you teach them, when you give them assignments to do. Don't do it just to be doing it to give them some busy work. Be sincere about it. So they get some out of it. They get some type of understanding out of it. And then you get some type of understanding from them because you, you get to understand the way they think. What else does it say? And energetic. Ener- energetic. Don't be half, half doing it. What else? Effort. <laughs> what? An energetic effort. Energetic effort. This is all the definitions for diligence. Energetic effort. Painstaking. Painstaking. So in order for you us to teach our children, it's going to be what? Steady, earnest, energetic effort, painstaking. Hard. <laughs> it's going to be hard. It's going to be a pain. It's going to be work. But you know us, we're allergic to work. We we hate working, especially if the work is hard. But don't the scripture says, don't the scripture say, hate not laborious work. <laughs> don't the scripture say that. Mm-hmm. Now read the synonyms for uh, diligent. Active. Active. Assiduous. Assiduous. Active, I love that, that uh, synonym. Shouts out to the sister Wardaya. You watch Wardaya teach the kids, the little kids. She is very active. She is very animated. She has a lot of energy mm-hmm. to keep them engaged. Because you know a child's mind, uh, mind span is they're short. That's short. Hell, a lot of adults, <laughs> mind span is shorter than that. This is why children are attracted to pictures and uh, animation. What else? Bustling, busy. Bustling, busy. Make it exciting. Make it fun. Make it entertaining even. We got to go into our bags. You like Esau going in his bag with all the animation where he's putting these uh, subliminal signs. And I don't know if you've ever seen a whole, whole bunch of YouTube videos all about animation and the way they be hiding uh, private parts in the cartoons and stuff. You never seen that? Are you know, like uh, Disney? Yeah, Disney. How did you hide explicit stuff that your child should not see? Right in the damn cartoon, subliminal stuff. That's Esau and his wickedness, but we got to match that. But in righteousness, this is what the diligence is ta- the most high is talking about. Read verse, matter of fact, before we read verse 7 again, now read the, uh, not the synonyms, but the antonyms to uh, diligence. Mm-hmm. Idle. What? Idle. <laughs> what does it say? Idle. Idle. And know the scripture says idleness 
teaches much what? Wickedness. Much wickedness. You let your child just be idle all the time. They're learning what? A lot of wickedness. What else? Inactive. Inactive. This is why a lot of kids this day and age fat as hell. Because they don't even want to go outside. They're, they program them. And you know, I'm not trying to blame everything on Esau. I'm not. A lot of this stuff is our fault for falling away from the most high and not bringing our children up the way he told us to do. But, man, they did such a good job. They did such a good job. And they're so conniving. And I say it because they'll have campaigns like uh, juvenile diabetes programs and stuff for the kids, and they'll have a bunch of information and seminars and stuff for the kids. But these are the same people that have took recess out of school. There is no recess at the school no more. These kids got to hurry up and stuff their food down, and then they can't go out and do no basketball, no run across, no tag, no uh, any, many, minor mode, how to see, all these childhood games, we okay. red light, green light, double dust. They ain't doing none of that. They just eating. And then you go to, to the see their uh, lunches and what they eat, pizza, hamburgers, fries, grilled cheese, all processed food. And then they complain, oh, there's a juvenile diabetes epidemic. Oh, you don't say. You think? What other evidence you got for uh, diligence? Unbusy, unemployed. Unbusy. <laughs> unoccupied. Unemployed, unoccupied. What y'all doing, none? Bored. I'm bored. If they bored, they can push a broom. They can clean the toilet. They can wash some dishes. They can learn the Ten Commandments. They can learn the Lord's Prayer. They can learn Psalms, the 23rd chapter. Deuteronomy 4, 6, or 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. So before you go to sleep at night, and when you rise up, I'm guilty of this. I'm definitely guilty of this. And I say this because I was having a conversation. This is my confession, y'all. I was having a conversation with my, my wife about how sometimes, um, it was basically about tucking my daughter in. And she brought up a very uh, important point. I don't tuck her in. I probably did it maybe once or twice that I can remember. But I need to make that something that I do. I need to tuck my daughters in. And they need to be praying 
before they go to sleep. This was the most hot said we were supposed to do anyway. This place, Babylon, is coming at our children so hard, y'all. Every day, all day. What are we doing to combat it? Read on. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. Listen to what the Most High saying. Talk of it all the time in the house. When you wake up, talk about the Most High. When you go to sleep, talk about the Most High. It is he says, and thou shalt bind them for a, a sign upon thy hand. Write it on your hand. <laughs> we used to cheat on tests back in grade school, middle school. So you had the answers. This is the only time the Most High will allow us to write on ourselves. <laughs> now, let me not say that. Because people going out getting tattoos now, talking about how the power sanctioned it. But the point is this. The Most High wanted him always to be on our mind. That's what, I hope y'all are seeing this. This is what he's basically saying. But he's he's doing it verbatim because you know we remedial. You know we remedial as hell. He's like, look, man, when you're in the crib, talk about me. When you wake up, talk about me. When y'all go to sleep, talk about me. All throughout the day, talk about me. Think about me. Read. And on thy gate. No, no, verse 8. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be a frontlet between thine eyes. A frontlet, frontlet is what they give racehorses to where they cut off their peripheral vision. They can only see what's in front of them. They have what's called tunnel vision. The most high said have tunnel vision of only him, him and him only. Read. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house. Have scriptures in your crib, on the wall. Have those icons on the wall, at the crib. To remind you, hey, the most high. Hey, the most high. Read. And on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not. So if we do these things, we'll get blessed tremendously. Read. And wells dig, which thou digst not, Vineyards and olive trees, which thou plantest not, when thou shalt have eaten and be full. When we have eaten and be full, now watch this part, read. Then beware. What does he say? Beware. Beware of this, read. Lest thou forget the Lord. <laughs> Why will we forget him? <laughs> the, what this song? Nigga ain't worried about nothing. Nigga ain't worried about nothing. <laughs> You got everything in it. You got everything. But what do we have a tendency to do? We forget the most high. We forget who gave this stuff to us. Man, the most high knows what he made. 
he said, then beware, lest thou forget the Lord. He knew this was going to happen. <laughs> he knew it. Now, before y'all go devil's advocate on me, you know, like the movie, Al Pacino, God, God said, uh, look, but don't, but don't touch. Smell, but don't taste. What type of God would do that? <laughs> the Most High know us better than we know ourselves. He created us. So wouldn't he know what's good for us? Just like our children, we created them, right? Shouldn't we know what's good for them? I remember <laughs> when I was younger, I used to ask, like, my mom and my dad if I could do something. They'd tell me no, and I would have the audacity to ask why, and they would tell me because I said so. <laughs> Just let the most... Let the most high voice come into your mind when you start to ask questions about why he said we couldn't do this or why he said we couldn't do that or what type of God would say we couldn't do X, Y, Z. Because he said so. Because he said so. That should be enough. But we didn't got like kids. We got a question. Well, why? Why has got to be like this? Why I got to be in order? Why I got to listen to him? Because he said so. How about that? So we always trying to find a, a gray area. No, nigga, because the Most High said so. Everybody's a damn attorney now. You done went to damn uh, Harvard, Cambridge, uh, Brown. What's, what's the other Ivy League schools? Princeton. You went to all of them, and you got your full lawyer degree in law when it comes to the most high telling you what you can't do. Now, you, now you've now studied harder than you've ever studied the Bible. And you got all the scriptures about how what you're doing is right. See, the scriptures say this, taking it all out of context, not not applying it to to your situation, man. Stop. This is us all day, every day. Verse twelve again. Then beware, lest thou forget the Lord, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. Because the Most High knew we was going to forget Him, because we was living the good life. Let's get Genesis chapter 2. The Most High has always been the same, man. He's, he's never changed. He's been the same. <laughs> he want to read different sections of the Bible, especially the New Testament, and say, oh, he changed. I read somebody's commentary. I forgot what it was. It might have been in the Zombie. I don't know. But they said that the God of the Old Testament was the God of judgment, and the God of the New Testament was the God of mercy and love. <laughs> People really don't read the Bible, man. <laughs> so 
Yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess it was mercy and love when he had his son beat to death and crucified. <laughs> what book are they reading? All right, this is 2 and 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, The Lord God said what? Saying, No, no, what did he do? The Lord God commanded the man. Who's this man? Adam. He commanded the man. What is a command? An order. An order. Some people just want to believe we got the commandments uh, when Moses came off Mount Sinai, Exodus. No. <laughs> We've been had commandments. We've been receiving orders. Like we just read in Deuteronomy, Mosai gave us orders about our, to teach our children. Here he is giving Adam orders. Read that again. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Most has always gave us boundaries, always gave us commandments. This is nothing new. Get Second Ezra chapter 3. This goes right along where we're reading in Genesis 2 and 15. We'll start at verse 4. Second Ezra. Chapter 3, verse 4. O Lord, who bearest rule, thou spakest at the beginning. Thou spakest at the what? The beginning. Like we just read in just chapter 2, the beginning. Read. When thou didst plant the earth, and that thyself alone, and commandest the people. He did what to the people? Commandest the people. He commanded the people. He gave them commandments like we just read, read him give the commandments to Adam. Read. And gave us a body unto Adam without soul, which was the workmanship of thine hands. And this breathe, breathe into him the breath of life. And he was made living before thee. Mm-hmm. And thou ledest him into paradise which thy right hand had planted before ever the earth came forward. Mm-hmm. And unto him thou gavest commandment. So he did what? Gavest commandment. Adam got what? Commandment. Adam got commandments. The Adamites get, got commandments. Y'all can see Genesis chapter 4 on the Adamites. Those group of people got commandments, like the Israelites got commandments. We were collectively called the Adamites after a man named Adam. No different than we are collectively now called Israelites after a man named Israel. They got commandments. We got commandments. Read. To love thy way, which he transgressed, and immediately thou appointest death in him, and in his generations of whom came nations, tribes, people, and kindreds out of number. 
Let's go back to Genesis 2 and read verse 17 again, please, ma'am. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. This was a commandment. Don't eat from that tree. Now, the reason I'm doing all this is to work us up to this part right here. Genesis chapter 4. And start verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. I'm sorry, y'all. Genesis chapter 5, y'all want to see for the Adamites. This is he blessed them and called their name Adam. Read on. And said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of sheep. But Cain was a tiller of the ground. So here Adam is having children. Read on. And in process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. He brought of the fruit of the ground offering to who? The Lord. What is this but the sacrificial laws? Because remember, we already covered this. The Most High gave Adam commandments. And it told us in um, Second Ezra that the Most High gave Adam, Adam his ways. So what did Adam teach his children? The ways of the Most High. This is why right here, Abel is off giving the Most High an offering. It's part of the sacrificial law, y'all. Read verse 4 again. Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect unto Abel and his and to his offering. Mm-hmm. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. So where did they get this from, to offer a sacrifice to the Most High? They got it from their father, their father, uh, Adam, who passed it, in, passed it down to his children, which means what? Adam taught his children the ways of the Most High. Nothing new, y'all. Let's jump down to verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again. Now, this is after Cain kills Abel. Then it says that Adam knew his wife again, meaning, uh, hold on. Let me move this mic up. The water, Michelle. Hope this is better. Let me turn the mic up too. So it says he knew his wife again. So he um, had intercourse with his wife again. Read. And she bare a son and called his name Seth. And Seth took Abel's place. Read. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Now watch this. Read. And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. It says then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. But you can go back to Genesis chapter 3 and see where Abel had conversation with the Most High. I'm sorry, Adam had a conversation with the Most High. 
Remember the most I asked him, hey, where you been? Mm-hmm. He had conversation with the most high. He had access to the most high. So men were calling on the on the most high during that time. <laughs> and obviously during the time of Abel, because Abel was sending up sacrifice to the most high, but it tells us in verse twenty six, when Seth was born, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, when Enos was born. I don't know how many generations there was, but a bunch of generations wasn't calling on the Lord. I hope y'all seeing this. Which means what? Somebody was not diligently teaching their kids about the Most High. This is a recurring theme with us, y'all. Joshua chapter 5 and start verse 1. Joshua, chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass, when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel, until we were passed over, that their heart melted. Neither was their, neither was their spirit in them anymore, because of the children of Israel. So this is the conquest of Joshua when he was taking the land or beginning to take the land of the Most High for the children of Israel that they was going to get. Verse two. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make thee sharp knives, and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. He said, man, make knives, and you got to circumcise all the children of Israel. He said, again. And why does he say again? Read. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of the foreskin. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. Now we're going to find out the reason he had to circumcise everybody again. Read. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war, died in the wilderness by the way after they came out of Egypt. Read. Now all the people that came out were circumcised. So all the people that came out of Egypt, they were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness by the way as they came forth out of Egypt, them they had not circumcised. All the kids that was born in the wilderness didn't get circumcised. Read on. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. How many years? 40 years. So 40 years of walking around the wilderness, didn't nobody say, you know what, man, we need to circumcise these kids. And you know what this also shows? It also shows the bitterness we have for the Most High. Because remember, the Most High told them they were going to die. They were not going to make it. He told them this. 
And you know how we is. I ain't going to make it anyway. Effort. What's the use of following the being in art? Effort did. Whatever. I'm, I'm doing me. Effort kid. This is the act, this is the mentality that we have. The mentality some of us still have. Read again. Uh, verse six. Mm-hmm. Verse six. For the children of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness, till all the people that were men of war which came out of Egypt were consumed, because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Unto whom the Lord swore that He would not shew them the land. He told them they weren't gonna make it. I'm not making it up, y'all. Read. Which the Lord swore unto their fathers that He would give us a land that floweth with milk and honey. Read. And their children, whom He raised up in their stead, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them by the way. You can't make this up, man. Let's get Genesis chapter 17. This goes right right along with uh, what we're reading Joshua, y'all. But I hope y'all are seeing how we dropped the ball. This is 17, verse 10. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man-child among you shall be circumcised. Now, this is what the Most High gave to our forefather Abraham. Every man among you should be circumcised. Now, remember we just read in Joshua. Everybody that came out of Egypt was circumcised. We know. And ye shall circumcise the, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generation, he that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed, he that is born in thy house and he that is bought with Thy money must needs be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. What's everlasting mean? Forever. 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 So, two things here, y'all. The law of circumcision didn't start just when we came out of Egypt. But we found out that when we came out of Egypt, Everybody was circumcised, according to what we just read in Joshua. That's the first thing. The second thing is somebody did their job in Egypt. I'm just going to say that. But you see how, like I said, we were so angry that we figured, hey, we ain't going to make it anyway. So I already told us we're going to die, so I ain't going to circumcise this kid. So if we didn't teach them that, circumcision, what else are we not teaching them those 40 years in the wilderness when we were rebellious as hell? 
And you just keep we you keep reading about how the Most High was murking us. So where in Acts, it was either Paul or Stephen said, and he suffered our manners for forty years in the wilderness. What does it mean? Suffered our manners. What does that mean? He put up with us. We was getting on the Most High's last damn nerve. Let's get Exodus chapter 4. And let's start at verse 25. Exodus 4, 25. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son. And cast it at his feet and said, Surely a bloody husband art thou to me. So this is Moses' wife circumcising her son. And she said, Moses, you're a bloody husband. Read. So he let him go. Then she said, A bloody husband thou art because of the circumcision. Now she was a Hebrew, she wasn't an Israelite. She was a, a, a Hebrew because this remember this is Midian's daughter, and the Midianites come from Abel, his uh, one of his children that he had with Ketor. They were Hebrews, but they weren't Israelites. But she was like, "Hey Moses, you forgot to circumcise our kids." But Moses, as great a man as he was, <laughs> he made a little error right here. Hope y'all seeing this. But we got to think about what Moses was doing when he, he went and he lived in uh, his father-in-law's land. His father-in-law had land. He had sheep. And remember, Moses had just fled uh, for his life, fleeing Egypt. So he get out there. He had, he had a woman, too. What, did Mo, what was Moses doing? He was living a good life. <laughs> He was living the good life. But what did the Most High tell us? Deuteronomy chapter 6 again, verse 10. Exodus 4.10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou digst not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. And he put no work in, just walked into a great situation and got what? Comfortable. Read. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord. It happens every time. Romans 15 and 4. Things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Take this to heed, y'all. It's a big book. All this information is in it for a reason, man, so we don't repeat the same mistakes that our ancestors made. You know? That we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Patience and comfort of the scriptures that we, 
might have hope. Not the same mistakes our ancestors made. All right, I think this is a good stopping place. I just got the 90-second mark. Let me mark my place. I hope uh, y'all was able to follow along in the class. I hope I wasn't going too fast. I want to say for a while for everybody tuning in. Hope everybody got some edification out of the class. You got any, uh, anything you want to say after that? Comments, questions? No. I want to uh, say once again to Water Mashaba for looking at the, blog, the broadcast. The Water for everybody tuning in, supporting blog talk. Hope y'all got some edification out of the class, some understanding. Uh, if you have any questions concerning this class or any other class, you can hit me up at area code 314-482-9110, man. Hit me up with your questions. Or like I said, man, if you just want to holler at a brother, that's cool too. Hit me up. But uh, that's gonna do it for us, y'all. This is a good stopping point. Uh, join us again next Thursday, Lord willing. Well, I should be able to finish this class. Um, no child left behind. But uh, with that, y'all, we gonna say shalom. shalom.